Karen, I understand there's both a Guggenheim Museum and a Guggenheim Foundation. Can you tell us about the differences between the two? The foundation was actually established uh, prior to the establishment of a physical building um, that and that uh, offered exhibitions to the public. Uh, I guess the, the fundamental difference would be that the Guggenheim museums, plural, uh, represent physical structures, physical buildings, and programming that takes place within those buildings. Up until quite recently, in the last couple of years, um, the director of the Guggenheim Museum in New York, the Solomon R. Guggenheim Museum, was also the director of the Solomon R. Guggenheim Foundation, which governs the programming for all of our international venues. As we expanded globally, um, that became more and more untenable. And uh, it became clear that we needed to establish a separate role for a director of the Guggenheim Museum who could focus entirely on the process of taking care of a building, maintaining um, educational programs, and all of the sort of physical functions of entertaining a public in a public space, separately from the larger international interests of um, spreading programming throughout five locations and also our traveling exhibition program, as well as a global expansion into new sites uh, through our, you know, through new museums opening in other locations. So um, Lisa Dennison became the director of the Guggenheim Museum, and Thomas Krenz continued his role as director of the Guggenheim Foundation. I see over time you've worked with some very well-known architects and designers to develop uh, exhibition design concepts for some of your more demanding and uh, high-profile exhibitions. Can you talk about how such people are selected and approached and about one of the more successful relationships that you've realised in this process? Oftentimes we have a relationship with uh, an architect prior to their working as an exhibition designer for us. For instance, we have... Um, had many architectural competitions in relation to our feasibility studies for new museums. And often uh, we begin a relationship with an architect through those competitions. And then we, you know, we like each other, we want to work together, we want to give them an opportunity to do more for the Guggenheim. And um, exhibition design is one of the ways that they can engage. Um, Frank Gehry, designed the Guggenheim in Bilbao, obviously a famous building. Um, he also designed the Art of the Motorcycle exhibition and his own retrospective. Um, created a great deal of excitement around the Art of the Motorcycle by cladding the entire spiral of the interior of the Solomon R. Guggenheim in shiny stainless steel. Uh, it brings an aspect of, of, of excitement to, uh, to an exhibition that only the addition of a, really another artist's work could do. Um, Enrique Norton, who uh, was part of an architectural competition for the Guggenheim in Guadalajara, designed the Aztec exhibition. Um, at other times, we'll bring in uh, a designer or an architect because of their either affinity with the artwork being displayed in the exhibition or um, with their affinity with the building, with the Solomon R. Guggenheim building. I think um, in the case of uh, Michael Gabellini uh, and also Andre Putman, uh, an affinity, their their own personal style, a kind of very modern minimalist aesthetic in terms of their own work, was very much in keeping with the interior of the Solomon R. Guggenheim Museum. So we thought that they would be very sympathetic in terms of 
of their role. Um, Michael Gabellini designed for an exhibition called Singular Forms, which is an exhibition of uh, minimalist and reductivist work from the latter part of this century and, and the beginning of the 21st century. And so his personal aesthetic was very much in keeping with the aesthetic of those artworks. And uh, that was qu quite a beautiful and elegant installation. Um, I've enjoyed working with all of the architects. The only downside that I can mention is that as as the manager of these projects, you're also the manager of the budget and the schedule. It's, it's important that that everything uh, happens smoothly, that, that things that galleries are ready in time for artworks to be installed, and that you don't go over budget. So you're often the person who also has to say no. And that's not a nice position to be in when you're working with a world-renowned architect. Um, and, you know, depending on, on the architect, that's either easier or harder. Along a similar vein, you've also worked closely with some brilliant artists to produce site-specific projects. Can you share some of the triumphs and challenges that you've come across in these relationships? That's always a very interesting role. Um, again, because you have some practical responsibilities about budget and and uh, and timing, but also because it's every artist that you work with has a different process. There's there's really no common denominator, and um, it's it's important to remain separate from that process to um, support it, uh, to engage it on some level so that you can be helpful. Uh, and and that that role is different each time because the process is different each time. Mm -hmm. um, I remember when I was working at the Museum of Modern Art uh, on an exhibition that Rob Storr curated uh, called Dislocations, where seven artists were invited to um, install either existing works or site-specific works designed specifically for the show. And one of the artists was Bruce Nauman. And Bruce arrived. We, I brought him into the gallery where his work would be installed. And uh, he took off his hat and he sat down on the floor and leaned up against one of the columns and sat there. And I waited. And then I realized he was thinking, and I left the gallery. And I came back a few hours later, and he was still in the same spot. And I asked him if he needed anything and if he wanted a glass of water, lunch, you know, if he needed us to bring anything to him. He sat there for a day and a half, came and went, um, never spoke. He did no drawing. And then he came back with, like, for me, what was the most powerful ex work in the exhibition, um, which one didn't have any idea about because it all happened in his head. It was a video work until it was projected on the walls. It didn't become real. It, it didn't have a process. For instance, Ilya Kabakov was another artist in the exhibition, and you, you saw that work come to life. We painted the walls. We built constructions. He paced around the space frenetically, you know, changing things. We built things. You, you saw that work be engendered and, and come to life and, and become real. With Bruce Nauman's work, it, it was completely invisible process. Totally conceptual, all that time spent sitting down, <laughs> thinking, conceptualizing the idea in the it, space. It all happened in that day and a half. Um, you know, I, I certainly wasn't very helpful, <laughs> uh, but it was it was really a very, very powerful work. So I, I guess um, every artist I've worked with has been a new experience. Um, I've, I've never had a bad experience um, I guess the only thing that, uh, I wouldn't call it a bad experience. Um, was a challenge. Oftentimes, no, oftentimes artists are working on site-specific installations or constructions, and they haven't seen this work yet. It's not as though they don't know if it's going to work. 
and there's a lot of anxiety, and there's also a lot of guesswork. So sometimes things happen, and you know, depending on the artist, you can have quite elaborate processes involved. Um, some things happen along the tra trajectory of this thing becoming real um, that surprise the artist, and they might please or displease and want to change their mind as they go. And um, you know, sometimes they're just uh, situations in which you're really problem solving on your feet. Uh, it, unexpected things happen for both of you and and it's it's I mean it's a privilege and, and and a very exciting process to take that journey with them and at the same time they're, they're just these amazing things happen completely unexpected things even with works where wherein they've already been realized once before but now they're being put into a new space there was a situation with I remember Cildo Morelis who's a Brazilian artist um, we were putting an existing work into a space that was smaller than what it had originally been conceived for. And it consisted of one of the various elements was a, a wall of, of church candles stacked up um, about the size of a normal taper. But it was a wall maybe 30 feet, uh, 10 meters in diameter, and uh, 30 centimeters high. Well, originally it had been maybe five feet larger in diameter, so maybe a meter and a half bigger. And by shrinking it, the reason we had to shrink it is because it just wouldn't fit in the gallery any other way. Um, you, by changing the circumference, you actually, if you think about the circumference of a single candle, the end of a, a, the rounded end of a candle, stacked next to each other in a circle, when you try to make that circle smaller, all of a sudden those round ends don't fit together anymore. So we had, this was something the artist didn't anticipate. They simply wouldn't stack up. They, they, they kept falling down. So we had to whittle like a carrot, into the shape of a carrot, every third candle. And there were thousands of them. So we had students, our students come, you know, we only had a few days to install this piece and, and whittle down every third candle. So like a whole team of people, you know, with a potato peeler, taking the ends off the candles. And then, you know, then the next thing that happened is the bleached bones that were supposed to fill the interior of the circle arrived. And they, at somewhere along the line, were bleached cow bones that were sterile supposedly. But, you know, they had had a journey from Brazil to uh, New York via truck part of the way, and at some point had become infested with giant cockroaches, <laughs> which once they were installed in the museum, you know, were discovered. They came crawling out of the center of the bones in the middle of the night. Um, you know, I had to call conservation and security. And <laughs> so it's, it's just things like this poor Cildo, you know, it was one thing after another with this work of Quite art. Quite a collaborative project in the end by the sounds of things.